30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you've left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard I moved to Louisville, Kentucky shortly after the pandemic started. Moving anywhere, there's always an initial period where it's hard to go out because you don't really know anyone and you have no idea where to go. The pandemic made that especially difficult. Fortunately, my fiance is a social butterfly and got involved in a political campaign as soon as we arrived. One day that first summer, she told me she was doing a small surprise event with a local musician. Not really understanding what we were doing, but eager to get out of the house and do something, I went with her down to the waterfront where this mysterious musician appeared and seemingly out of nowhere, a small crowd gathered. So there we were, sitting by the banks of the Ohio River on picnic blankets as the sun slowly inched down towards the horizon and the tiny group socialized and shared snacks at a distance. My partner solicited poem topics from the gathered audience and banged them out on her typewriter. As she finished reciting each poem, the musician would start strumming his guitar and sing a tune, complete with improvised lyrics, inspired by the poem we just heard. Looking around at the smiling faces, I felt the presence of a very specific magic, one I'd missed sorely in the isolation of the pandemic. It was the magic that comes from experiencing incredible art with a small group where everyone knows they're sharing in something special, something ephemeral, a private performance that will disappear without a trace as soon as the sun sets and the crowd disperses. In the time since, I've had the pleasure of experiencing that magic again and again in the presence of this musician. Watching him duet with our friend's four-year-old at a garden potluck, the four-year-old banging plastic plates and rapping as fireflies flickered among the blackberry bushes. Seeing him take the stage in a backyard, weaving songs and stories together into a deeply personal experience, something out of an episode of MTV's Unplugged. Each time, I watched the magic play out on the small crowd's faces, seeing their joy and sharing this singular moment in space and time, our own private universe. What makes it even more magical is that this musician, who goes by the name Scott T. Smith, is a rising star. When he's not messing about with wizards in Kentucky backyards, he's playing to clubs and concert halls across the country, blowing away audiences with his thoughtful lyrics and enchanting voice. After seeing Scott perform with Pig, who just appeared on the podcast episode, How to Be a Simple Pig, I knew I needed to have Scott himself on the podcast. But since his music is so integral to his whole being, I wanted to try something new. And so I asked Scott to bring both his stories and songs so that you could all experience some of that magic that I've felt alongside dusky rivers and glimmering gardens. So gather around everyone and open your ears and hearts as Scott T. Smith teaches us how to sing your own story. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. We have arrived in this moment. We are here. We are now, we are all space, all time. Scott T. Smith, mm. welcome to the ritual. Woo! Feels good. Feels good, don't <laughs> <Yeah>. it? <laughs> no, I really love the way we just set our intention for this, this episode. Yeah, it's going to be a very intentional episode because yeah. I have been intending to have you on for a minute. Here we go. And uh, this is going to be a real fun one. Tell them about it. Tell all right. Them. Tell them. Well, I think one of the things that I'll, I'll, I'll set up is that Moving to Louisville, Kentucky, one of the things that I've wanted to do with the podcast is connect with more Louisville people because I think it's such mm -hmm. a magical, amazing community here. And I think um, there's often podcasts where everybody is a professional podcast guest that has that five-inch bio about what TED yeah. Talks they've given. And I think it's really nice to show that everybody has a story to tell. And 
you have a lot of stories that I've heard you tell as part of your musical performances. And we collaborated on a show recently with previous mm -hmm. podcast guest Pig. That was an absolute delight. It was. From beginning to end, the uh, mind massage and sound healing that really dropped everyone in underneath giant canopies of, of well-thought and loved uh, landscaping. Mm -hmm. All the way to Pig's whimsical and methodical story that was just in the same vibration setting the stage with the highs and the lows mm -hmm. and the story evolving as it went. And so you handing the stage over to me. And what I saw with you, because you would just come back from some touring and you're mm -hmm. playing more shows out of town and, yeah. you know, big clubs and things like that where there's more structure now and you've got to do your tight 30 minutes and all of mm -hmm. that. And it was just amazing to see you be so free and saying, I'm in a backyard with friends and I'm not trying to impress nope. anyone. I'm just trying to be myself and share with you where I'm at. Yeah. And it was wonderful. And I thought, let's get that in the ritual. And that in and of itself is the blessing and the curse mm -hmm. uh, to moving into professional realm. There's always going to be new uh, limitations and um, with that, new obligations. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's strings everywhere. There's strings everywhere, and I don't mind them. I, I'm I'm happy with the way the universe was made. It, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm you know I wouldn't critique it because I feel like uh, I have no awareness of the balance of everything, and nope. so if I start tweaking <laughs> variables, suddenly it's going to sound like shit. Next thing you know, <laughs> we're in between, and there's halls and mirrors everywhere. And exactly, sounds are fragmented. Yeah, you know, like if electrons weigh just like slightly different. Physics doesn't work anymore and it all falls apart. Really you don't get stars. It. I so. really dig my feet on the ground. So what's our magic word going to be? Uh, abstinence. Abstinence. Ooh, okay. I hate the bad rap it's gotten. All right. Well, let's let's get, unpack that in a moment. But on the count yeah. of three, say it with me. One, two, three. Abstinence. abstinence. What are you abstaining from? Mm. As is often practiced in the modern church during the... I think they call it Lent, mm -hmm. the holiday of Lent. Uh, one could say you could just put down your favorite thing or what you enjoy, what you think uh, on a regular basis down for a month or for a certain length of time. We're seeing that more and more mm -hmm. uh, in our culture with alcohol. Yeah. Uh, the the modern millennial saying, I drink too much. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should take a, a, you know, a brief stint away from it. Um for me, what am I abstaining from? It, it comes and goes. I love people. Yeah. I love to love people. Mm -hmm. And I love to laugh with them. And my whole life, I have given a lot more of myself to the people that I love than to myself. Mm. So I'm abstaining from energy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just I'm abstaining from giving away too much of it. I, I'm I'm creating home in myself because I'm on the road so much. Yeah. So I'm just focused on what I'm doing for myself. I like that. I think that's a really important reflection. I think we all went through that a little bit in a forced way with the pandemic where mm -hmm. suddenly we had to abstain from all kinds of things. And for some people, it was incredibly challenging because their social world was their whole world. Yeah. And I think other people were already introverts or got to explore their introverted side a little bit more and say, oh, mm -hmm. okay, what what will I fill that space with? And yeah, there's always these variables that you can play around with and say, where am I leaking and where mm -hmm. am I getting sustenance from and how do mm -hmm. I balance that out? Yeah, because like you said, it, it is for me, uh, it is a constant, or at least these days, this newfangled uh, space that I've given myself um, it is a constant evaluation of, is it, is it, uh, am I not getting enough sleep? Right. Um, I'm, I need to abstain from my nightlife for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, am I not, uh, you know, sustaining energy throughout my day for communication? Mm -hmm. Well, then I need to, I need to eat a breakfast yeah. and sit down with my emails. Drink some water. And that's where it starts, you know? And yeah. so, yeah, I, I just think in a funny way, uh, it, that is really where I'm at. 
And I think we always want it to be a magic secret. That's why, you know, clickbait works and all of these self-help books and, you know, Mm. Instagram coaches, because everyone wants to think that there's some weird trick that they're not doing and that's going to unlock it. And then they ignore the obvious stuff. But, you know, oh, why am I so tired all the time? Are you drinking six nights a week and only sleeping two hours a night? That might be a place to start. Yeah, just like real quick, do a pulse check. <laughs> it's not a weird fruit that you need to be eating from Peru. Nope. It's literally just nope. uh, sleep eight hours, drink water, uh, exercise, stretch. Yeah, I promise you after your month of tucking away and checking on yourself, you can come back and you will find your friends still doing the same thing yeah. at 4 a.m. after the bars close down. You can still have those nights, people. Yeah. And sleep sometimes. Yeah, you can do both. So, so let's uh, let's start at the the beginning and tell me about uh, your roots and yeah the role that music has played in your life. So I grew up in Hurricane, West Virginia, Belled Hurricane, uh, and I was raised to a New Yorker mm-hmm. and to a humble country girl from Pond Town, Maryland, mm-hmm. as she would say, Merland. Uh, and it's named after the pond you passed on your way into town. Yeah. So it really was, he's a little bit rock and roll, Mm -hmm. a little bit country. Like (laughs) dad dad was just a little bit more soul. Let Mm -hmm. me say like that. Like my father had every genre of music in our house from the time I could remember what I liked and did what I didn't like. Um, I knew that sounds were just going to be turned to 11. Mm-hmm. In my house, I, you could hear it permeating throughout the whole house on a Saturday when he was home from work. I mean, it would start with doo-wop yeah. and like the soulful standards of the 40s and 50s and 60s. And then, you know, as the day would roll on, he might switch to the radio to give himself a break from curating his, his you know, his afternoon or his morning of music. He'd put on the radio, but what did it go to? It went to like golden oldies or it mm-hmm. went to soul sounds of now mm-hmm. and that at the time we had just left the 80s so that was mid to late 80s soul and r&b and then i was born in 92 so i had this whole midsection of boys to men had just popped up yeah. and you know it was just it it's was like a afros to jerry curl yep. to fades you, to you fades. had it all <laughs> yeah and i did i grew up in a house with all of it and my mother could sing mm-hmm. so i was raised on Almost three acres of land from the time I was uh, not counting years to 10. Wow. And um, that was surrounded by, it it wasn't even conserved or it wasn't anybody's land really. It was owned by the state, but it was surrounded by another uh, 15 or 20 acres that we could just run around and play and build forts on and Whenever you talk about your childhood, I picture yeah. you like dressed like Huck Finn with like overalls and oh a straw gosh. hat, just like sleeping under a tree with a little fishing line tied to your toe. You know, I wish, <laughs> I wish I didn't have any of the right clothes to be doing what I was doing. I just made it work. I mean, I didn't buy my first pair of hiking boots. I was in scouts. Yeah. Um, I didn't buy my first pair of hiking boots that I thought fit mm. properly until I was probably 18 years old. Wow. Um, I wish that I was dressed like Huck Finn. Instead, <laughs> it was this, I was dressed really nice yeah. and I would come back and try not to have grass stains or try mm, not mm-hmm. to have, it was, um, what's, what's another, like the Victorian, uh, son of the Duke. And right. Yeah. Like, go be good. Have fun with the ground. A little boy in britches. <laughs> yeah. And like, on the ground. With a stick and a hoop running yeah. down a dirt and road. Then, like you meet, you meet the kids from around the, the way and they're yeah. like, come with us into the woods. Yeah. And We're going to go catch salamanders. Don't get dirty yeah. because they'll know you played in the woods. Uh. But I was allowed. I was yeah. allowed. I was raised um, in this little interesting community. I was raised on top of this mountain that used to be an apple orchard. Mm-hmm. And my friend's father, who lived on the other side of the, the mountain from us, he was 100% Cherokee. Yeah. And he taught me everything I know about the woods. Wow. Like he, my mother and him practiced child rearing, very similar. Mm -hmm. It was the village. Yeah. So they knew each other. And when I was with him, I was under his 
parenting. Mm-hmm. And then when I was with, when he, when his children were with, with us, it was the same deal. Yeah. And that was kind of the consensus throughout the mountaintop. Like mm-hmm. we were all in this weird middle ground. We knew we were lucky. We lived in the suburbs, but we had this like feral upbringing yeah. and we all just took care of each other like a little, like a little village. That's beautiful. Yeah. So when did you start playing music? I started playing music the very first time I can remember hearing Chuck Berry on guitar. It was Christmas time. It was mm-hmm. Chuck Berry's uh, Rock and Roll Rudolph or something. something my like Dingling. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah that one. You heard Chuck Berry sing My Dingling and you're like, you're like That's this it. is it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it was really was like, it was a Rudolph one. He was just You don't get guitar. it, but your kids are going to love it. <laughs> yeah. And I just remember asking for an electric guitar Mm. and I think it was somewhere within that same year like uh I went to third grade probably I think I got my first electric guitar when I was in second grade and third grade Mm. the world opened up yeah they offered you chorus and they offered you orchestra and I said can you do both and they were like we're gonna have to talk to you after this (laughs) (laughs) and I was like but I want to do both and so somehow some way I was able to do both and I started playing the cello and I started singing within a group um, in third grade. And that was the beginning of my formal education in music. Yeah. Um, guitar didn't last long. I think I went to maybe three or four lessons and I just wasn't down to be told <laughs> how to make the noises. I just couldn't figure it out. But uh, I fell in love with the cello. I fell in love with being a part of large groups yeah. of like, and I know what it is now. It's the frequency that everybody shares. Like mm-hmm. you, when you're in a choir that's singing the same words at the same time to the same, you know, melody, it's, it's a powerful thing. Hey, you don't have to preach to a wizard about tuning into the Ooh, vibrations, baby. baby I'm on. right there with you. Come on. <laughs> and so for me, that's when I started realizing the power of uh, organization of music. Yeah. And that just fast forward. I mean, you just, that clip on all of my adolescent years. I was in orchestra and I was singing in choirs uh, all the way through school. Yeah. I quit playing cello in ninth grade because uh, I was tired of playing alone. We moved to where I didn't have an orchestra anymore. Uh, yeah. And we moved further into the country in West Virginia. And um, while the school district I went to was really great, they didn't have an orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, so quit playing cello and I picked the guitar back up about 15 years old. There you go. I just needed something with strings and, and vibration. And that's when I went to work. The world had truly changed since the first time I started playing guitar. I no longer needed a instructor to tell me how to make it make noise. Yeah. I could go to YouTube, right? I could, uh, go online and type in so-and-so chords or so-and-so tab and just read what they were trying to make my parents pay. Right. You know, a lot of money, a lesson to read on my own. And my technique doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people, but it's mine. And it was at that age that I really fell in love with what I'm doing now, which is playing and singing. Well, speaking of playing and singing, let's have you play a song so the audience yeah. can get a, a sense of what, what it is that we're all talking about here. When I came to I was holding a picture of you In the golden light There he lay The last soul to fade away Now I'm free to ride away From this broken life It was a hot desert night I 
started to bore to the top And I lost all my sight for just a moment It was, I'm, I'm saying it a little bit different than you can hear on my EP. And it feels good to do different arrangements. People always laugh that play with me because they say, I never do anything twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it keeps it, keeps it interesting for those who follow along. Um, I think that I remember the day I wrote that song. Uh, I was working in Hurricane, West Virginia as a woodworker and walking back and forth to work, which people don't do in, in Hurricane. People don't walk in mm, Hurricane. Mm -hmm. um, so I made a commitment. I'm, I started working from a place where I, I, I lived two miles walk from my house. Yeah. So I just made a commitment to walk every day to work. Every day. Sometimes I'd get a walk, a ride home yeah. after work, but it was great. Every morning I'd get up, walk to work. And um, I just had finished my first song, which is Wanted Man, which is the title track for the EP, Wanted Man, Scott T. Smith. Look it up on the Spotify. Um, but it also was the first song that I felt like I wrote a hook. Mm. Um, whatever that, that means in the industry, that jargon, you know. Mm -hmm. I felt like I finally wrote something that like really dug into the soul yeah that and it's it's kind of a it's kind of an homage to the 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 um spaghetti western oh the sergio leone wow wow yeah there's um there's a New Order song. I forget which one it is, but 
when uh, Ennio Morricone, the composer, died, they were like, oh, yeah, we were literally watching The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and there was something, and we're like, let's make that the bass line, and then if you now play them side by side, you can hear it, but like, no one, no one ever like, picked yeah. that up, but yeah. yeah. Inspiration comes from everywhere. It does, and I, I just... It was it that song still to this day means a lot to me. It was how I used to start my sets because mm-hmm. um, it just felt like a good foot to start on. But uh, yeah, I mean, my songwriting has truly evolved since then. Well, that was what I wanted to ask is, you know, your, your music doesn't sound like Chuck Berry. So it's obviously evolved since that first inspiration. But I'm curious where you felt like you went through phases and how you felt like you found your own voice. And if there was a period where maybe you were sounding more um you know like an inspiration or something yeah. and then you kind of figured out how to peel that back and find what was you underneath it all well you have stumbled into something that i think a lot of people want to know the answer to um in their own lives a lot mm-hmm. of songwriters a lot of young uh tryhards um there's like this kind of airy answer that you get from older musicians when a young guy or or someone comes up after a set and they're like, how'd you do that? Or like, what are you yeah. using? Or like, how'd you, what, what, did, what, what are you doing with your fingers there? And you're like, and you go magic and you, you disappear yeah, in a you cloud just kinda of purple like, smoke. You know, there's this whole like five decades worth of like, you just do it, kid. Right. You know, like, <laughs> and it's, it, you will never, this is the first time I've ever said this. You will never find out the joy of, what it is to know what you sound like mm-hmm. if you're worried about what other people sound like. Right. Um, I don't listen to a lot of music. Mm-hmm. It, I go through phases. Um, I listened to an obscene amount of music when I was young. Yeah. And then I realized that I have a voice that can emulate just about any voice. Mm-hmm. Like my ear is empathetic is what they call it. I have an empathetic ear. And so I start tuning into the subtle uh, nuances of vowel placement. And um, you do that enough with one singer that you like a lot and you will never know what you sound like. Right, because you'll kind of get stuck in that groove. Mm-hmm. For me, early on, that was Dallas Green. Okay. Uh, of City and Color and also a well-known Canadian band, Alexis on Fire. They took about a decade hiatus and they just came out with some new music. Real happy about that. But... I grew up in this heavy core metal scene. Mm-hmm. Alexis on Fire is not nearly as heavy as they once were, if you were to type that in after listening to this. But um, I never really knew what my voice sounded like because I was bouncing between so many worlds and I just never stopped singing. I, I went through what some people call uh, your, like, the puberty years are supposed to be a singer's songbird years. Mm-hmm. My songbird stage started when I was 12. I would literally sing the phone book. Wow. I would sit while I was like, you know, some people's parents have like little books for reading while you're using the bathroom. There was always like funnies in newspaper. I would sing the newspaper. Yeah. I would just sing it because you honestly have to fall in love with singing. You don't have to be in love with your voice. I think there's a difference. A lot of people hear their own voice and it freaks them out. Mm-hmm. A lot of people can't listen back to this podcast after they've been on it. I'm sure it's not a common thing for somebody that doesn't listen to their voice being played back to them or bouncing it back to them. They don't, it's a strange thing. I know I was blessed with this wonderful mm-hmm. speaking voice. That oh, it's I've great. Left. No, I, I, it, I took, it took a while to just literally commit to going, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to mm-hmm. put it out and not yep. care. And that's, that's, I think the best thing you can do is um, know that you're, oh, what you think you're hearing is wrong. <laughs> yeah. You're hearing a distortion. You get the funhouse mirror version. Everyone else sees you clear as day. So I have a problem with that with social media. It's why I don't post a lot. I have this distorted version of like what I, what I think is cool. I took a picture of, or like what I think was a nice picture. Um, or what someone thinks is a nice picture of me, I could never post. Yeah. Uh, so that's where, like, I don't mind listening to myself. Now I love to listen to myself sing um, back these performances because of the people that are on performance with me. Right. It's so much fun to listen back to a live performance and hear my, you know, soul family and favorite collaborator, Ellie Roof, mm-hmm. just ripping, ripping through a 
soul fiddle solo, which a lot of people don't even know can be done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like, my goodness. And so, um, yeah, I, I was in love with singing. I wasn't in love with my voice. And I just never stopped. Um, and when the time came, it was hard to, but I cut away from my influences. And I just sat with my guitar and wrote the same song probably 200 times. Wow. I just like the same song kept coming out of me yeah. and to the point where I felt crazy. I was like, this is awful. These are the same chords that I used on the last one. This is like the same concept. Like storytelling is hard. Yeah. Do it well is hard. And it's because of my mentors and um, my dedication to the, uh, to the practice of storytelling that um, my songwriting is getting better. There's a, a phrase that I have used because um, like I do a lot of writing. And when you sit down to write, the first 15, 20 minutes, you're not in the writing zone yet. And so you hate what you're writing. You're yeah. like, ah, oh, this is bad. This is clumsy. This is coming out bad. And if you just get frustrated and you go, all right, screw this, I'm going to go get a snack. And then you never get past that point. Then you just stay in that frustrated zone. But I call it getting out the mustard water. You know, when you got to go oh, yeah. use mustard and there's Ugh. a water, you got to, it's like, you got to kind of just get that out of the way. And I think sometimes it's not even, again, it's not the one weird trick to become a songwriter, but it's getting yeah. enough stuff out there that you start to get into stuff that's more interesting and exciting. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get it twisted. You don't have to put it all out there. You don't have to show people the process of which it took you to get to where people are like, man, I love that song. I'm like, no one heard that song that I wrote in Colorado 50 times and then brought it home to West Virginia, then wrote it another 50 times. I was like, I swear I'm writing the same story mm -hmm. in just very slightly different ways, you know? Well, I think that's actually one of the things that is hard in our culture now is we see the finalized product that is so polished and pristine mm -hmm. And if that's all you're exposed to, then you don't see the rough edges. If you're an aspiring screenwriter and your favorite movie's Pulp Fiction, you're like, this is a masterpiece. And the thing that I wrote this weekend does not even come close to it. But you didn't see the draft after draft after draft where yeah. those things get better and get improved. And of course, you know, in a big yeah. Hollywood studio system or, you know, studio musician, there's so many other hands that are there as well. And I think when you as an individual are looking at your thing, you're not comparing apples to apples. Mm -mm. You're you're getting lost if you're worried about yeah. this is supposed to be this thing that is um, pristine. Yeah, right I actually just wrote a song <clears throat> about that and it's new and it's not shared anywhere. But I think, you know, if we're going to do something at all, we might as well do it here. Yeah, let's do some and exclusives. Uh, let me see if I can remember the words because like I said, it's so new, but... Uh, I'm wondering what I've done of love to rescue me wondering what I've done how can it all come unspun cause I'm starting to think that my jealousies are gonna drown me cause I'm not him and I'll never be her and I'm on my own road of this I'm sure but I when is the party gonna come and save me? So call the cavalry. Day in, day out 
Every time I see you, I just start to think about how I haven't done enough and I won't have the time today. Oh no. Well, I'm chipping away at my will to survive and I'm finding out that it's a hard drive and it's hard to admit that I don't know if I have what it takes to call the cavalry. That's a good chunk of it. And I think it takes us back to what we were just talking about. In this modern age, you will go crazy if you compare yourself to the wealth of polished, Mm -hmm. well-produced content and creative agencies that are out there. It looks like one person, but it's a whole team of people. Oh, absolutely. You'll go insane. I thought about that a lot in New York where I, I thought about as this idea of like buckets, where if I have a bucket that is my social life and a bucket that is my romantic life and a bucket that is my work life and a bucket that is my wizard life, I'm just me and I'm pouring myself out into those different buckets mm-hmm. and I'm just getting a little bit in each one. Whereas if you have some celebrity, if you have Kanye West, that's one bucket called Kanye West. And then there's thousands of like, you know, A&R reps and mm-hmm. personal assistants and drivers yep. and producers yeah. and everybody else that's pouring into that bucket. Even Kanye, the person, isn't that bucket because no. it's it's a brand, it's an identity, no. it's an image. Yeah. And, and you can't compare that. You can't because it's just not, not fair to yourself. And I think it's important to realize you really do have to be fair to yourself if you're going to live in 2022. Yeah. What is that phrase like comparison is the thief of joy? That's going to be in that song. Yeah. Yeah. I get told that a lot by my partner. Yeah. Because I'm crazy. <laughs> and I'll, she'll wake up at like 2 a.m. and I'll just be staring at my phone and breathing heavy. And she's like, what? And she's like, yeah. they announced another tour. <laughs> <I'm> yeah. like, <laughs> they have another, you know, and it's, it really is. I have to like come to this moment where I'm like, snap out of it. I'm like, man, yeah, I'm really happy for them. Or I, I have to celebrate their wins because their wins, whoever they are, mm-hmm. is another win for creatives being professionals across the board. And I think it's, you know, we all are taught this competitive mindset, which is very damaging because it works for the system. If everyone competes, then there is one winner and yeah. then you get to make a bunch of money off that winner. And who cares about everyone that fell wounded on the battlefield? But if you are one of the people in that quote-unquote competition, that's not a fun way to see it. And No. Uh, when I was moving to New York, a friend gave me great advice where they said, you need to have sort of spiritual practices and ways to protect yourself because you're moving to a place because you want to succeed and do something. You, most people don't move to New York without some kind of ambition on their own volition. Yeah. And no matter what you're doing, there's going to be somebody who is younger than you possibly more talented than you. And they're also Billy Crystal's son. So (laughs) like like they just have doors open and other means. And if you compare yourself, you're going to go crazy. Yeah. Whereas if you find your own thing, I mean, I, I I decided to become a wizard because I was like, there's less competition. (laughs) I don't have to stress about it as much. Some would argue that's why I became a black folk singer, but I I would say I had no choice in the matter. Yeah. (laughs) I just, just where is who I am, baby. Yeah. Um, Speak a little bit more about that experience because this is a pretty uh, white uh, arena. And um, what is, what is, you know, what has you encountered in that world? I am on the cusp of my Saturn return. Mm. I had no clue what that meant. Um, Me neither. Just a few years years ago. And I'm just now learning what it even really does mean. Uh, And that's because life is showing me the heat that that is. um, And the things that are burning up around me. Uh, But I will say that because of that heat in my life, the loss of huge pillars um, in my family and, uh, 
the age where your youth is starting to fragment Mm -hmm. or, you know, just kind of slide off you like you're molting and you're like, oh man, my, my delicate innocence has fallen to the side of the road, Mm -hmm. but my journey continues. Um, and all of this turns into as I am waking up to who I am as a person, the world is sharing more truth, especially on what an American thing to say. America is showing and telling more of the narrative that right. is black influence mm-hmm. in America's story. So as I have been told my whole life growing up in West Virginia and the things that I did, I've always done hobbies that were perceived as uh, white space, you know, which I just always saw as blank space, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Put me on the paper and I will stand out Mm -hmm. because it's blank until I get there. Right. You know, and I I don't, I don't know if it was really a healthy place to be raised, but it made me, and I say that as in that arena of Mm -hmm. always being the person that stands out, being the only black kid in, you know, show choir or like, uh, or, and ski club or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mountain bike. It just was, it was a lot of like, at one point in time, at a young age, I made a joke that became my moniker as like the black ambassador of Hurricane West Virginia. Mm. Because like, I would hear from like grown ass human beings who were like my, who supposed to be my Mr. Kenny, yeah. you know, my, my uh, daddy Dukes or my mama Dukes. And they'd be like, oh, you're the first black person in our home. Wow. And I'm like, and I look back on it now, I'm like, they were 40 years old telling that to like a 13 year old or a 12 year old. Like, why was that important for me to know? Yeah. Why wasn't it more important for me just to feel welcome in your home? Why did you have to point out the difference? So I was raised in this beautiful, almost ancient feeling valley uh, where you couldn't see a quarter mile in any direction Mm -hmm. because there were just always hills around you holding you kind of like right. cuddled up with you in a holler and in a holler but yeah. it, like but the valley is different because it's like there are hollers in that valley right and i didn't go to a lot of them mm. i had one that i was allowed to go to because it was my buddy's holler it was his family's holler mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> whereas his aunt and uncle were up on the top of the ridge and then he came down and his family was there and they had a big pond and then grandma and grandpa were at the bottom and that you know just turned into a bigger bigger road at that point but I am five years removed from West Virginia. I am just over 10 years removed from high school. Mm -hmm. And I am months away from being 30. And I'm realizing that I have the right to be in the spaces and the places that I am more and more every single day. Yeah. Um, And yes, it's because of the white voices that have screamed that at me loud enough to hear mm. uh and to believe yeah um but with that comes the second part of what i was saying the history and the truth that's coming out about the black influence um it's inspirational to know that uh the banjo is a black not black it's an african instrument yeah um and that it wasn't even made popular in american uh, Caucasian culture until it was used to make fun of African uh, musicians. Wow. And they they had this whole, it was like a part of some of the original advertisement campaigns to yeah. make the banjo a white instrument. Wow. Um, uh, but up until that point, it's very prominent in black singer-songwriters. Yeah. Just like folk music was black music yeah. in the beginning, just like blues. It just wasn't a thing that you found yourself as a white man doing because mm-hmm. you were you were above it. Well, I think a lot of these trends get processed. So folk music in particular was coming over and, you know, a lot of the Appalachian stuff that you hear, like the early like folkways recordings Mm -hmm. and stuff, it's like weird Scottish and English ballads and stuff that got brought over and then kind of translated. And then so much music is people who were stolen from Africa and brought here and kept enough of their music culture that it mutated and evolved. And then eventually someone comes along and says, this is cool, but how do I sand off all the edges and repackage it? And who do I want to package and sell it to? Yeah. White people. Yeah. And And they can have it in their homes. 
Mm -hmm. on wax recording. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, and it's, I think that the biggest farce that we have like integrated into our American DNA is that you have to leave your culture Mm -hmm. behind when you move to America. Right. Like, you know, I, I, I was talking to someone once about how being black in America is the story of racial ambiguity. Mm -hmm. And really being American is racial ambiguity. Like, what are you? Where, like, where do you come from? Where did you go? Some people are lucky enough to know. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is that, like, not the only people that were stolen, you know, from their homeland aren't black. Right. There are far more stories of Native Americans, of people of Latin X, you know, as we're calling it now descent. Um, and the bottom line is there are plenty of Europeans that also have the same story of running from hate and uh, yeah. the idea of total annihilation and finding themselves here. But in order to survive in America, you can't speak X, Y, Z yeah. in order to survive in America. You can't practice this cultural holiday, mm-hmm. you know, cause now your neighbors know. Right. And I think that's, you know, part of the culture of white supremacy is the creation of whiteness out of a huge rainbow of different colors that they said, all right, you're enough similar that you get to all be white as long as you stop making that stinky food and stop speaking in that weird language Mm -hmm. and get with the program. And I think so much racism in America is Mm -hmm. literally just, well, you weren't able to scrub off your culture effectively. Yeah. I mean, that's part of what I love about the mass attitude Mm -hmm. is that they are at least proud to be Irish. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) like They are proud to still live in the same borough Mm -hmm. that their great, great, great grandfather, you know, and like they don't speak with their Irish ting anymore, but they... Now they sound like Ben Affleck. Yeah, now they sound (laughs) like Ben Affleck. But it it is, it's, it's empowering to learn the stories of some of the greatest influences on American music being black musicians. Um, and it's also heartbreaking to realize that some of the greatest black musicians wanted to be something else. Yeah. Uh, Bill Withers mm. being a great example of that. He's from uh, just a couple hours south of where I am in West Virginia, which is hard to do because it's there's only a couple hours to go before you're getting really <laughs> close to not being in West Virginia. Right. And he's from a coal mining mountain. Um, in my favorite part of the state, right in the southern part near Beckley in between Fayetteville, there's this uh, coal mining community out there and it was segregated and there was a black entrance and there was white entrance and they literally split the mountain down the middle and then there was a black side of the mountain where they would have like company housing yeah. for the blacks and then for the whites. And it, I mean, to be honest with you, there's not much of a difference between either one. Right. Like, I think we need to remember like poor is poor. Yeah. You're coming uh, out of a coal mine. Everyone's yeah, black. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like um, the proletariat has always, always been squeezed. Mm-hmm. Um, and just go read about coal mining towns and the way they have the company store. Like, oh, yeah. Just go, yeah. The, the wildest thing about Bill Withers is that he was allowed to go wherever he wanted on the mountain. Mm. Uh, everyone called him little brother. Yeah. Like that's, that's verified. Right. On a in the time where like racial tensions were the highest they had been in America, you know, civil rights were going on, whether that little mountain town knew about that or not, I don't yeah. know. But there was a young man born with a big enough smile and a big enough heart for people to see it from a mile away. And Bill, in my mind, Bill was raised within a community where he heard traditional music. Mm-hmm. There's no way he didn't. There's no way he didn't see bluegrass pickers on their front porches playing banjo with their friends. Cause you know, at this point, like the banjo is, is primarily a white instrument. Yeah. Um, and you know, when he got to LA, uh, and became, um, who he became, uh, when they realized that the janitor had songs, yeah. <laughs> um, they said, well, what, what, what do you want to do? What genre do you want to be? And he said, I want to be like, Bob Dylan. I want to be, you know, like I want to be like them. I want to be like Joni Mitchell and them. I want to, I want to be a folk musician. 
And they said, sorry, sorry, Charlie, you yeah. know, <laughs> sorry about your luck, Chuck. And, uh, they, they pushed him into soul. And, you know, the thing is that Bill Withers was an amazing storyteller. Right. So his songs, and I think this is important to remember that it doesn't matter what genre you are performing in or what genre you attribute yourself to as an artist, because it really all comes back to your story telling mm-hmm. and the wholeness um, of that story. That's what makes people be able to remove you from it and put themselves in that shoe yeah. is when you tell a, tell a full narrative, um, in a, uh, in a true and real way. And, uh, yeah, I, I think about how lucky I am to live in 2022 a lot, uh, as much as we like to think about how hard it is. Um, it's not that it's not, um, listen, we can get real nihilistic if you want to, yeah. but I get to be a folk artist that blends genres and nobody can tell me that I'm not a folk artist because I live in 2022. And I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that we complain a lot and there's things that are worth complaining about, but the amount of access to both, you know, people are like, oh, I wish I could have lived in the 70s. That's amazing. It's great. It's like, motherfucker, you can listen to music from the 70s. Yeah. You get it all your fingertips. Yeah. We have music from the 70s that you would have not found then yeah. that now we are obsessed with. And I think that's what's cool is these yeah. musicians, people like Arthur Russell, I think about a lot where, you know, in the 1980s, if you were like, I like Arthur Russell, people would be like, who? Because it was some guy that was oh, yeah. mostly recording in his bedroom. And then now all over the place. And I think that's so cool that there's people now where it's some SoundCloud page that no one's paying attention to. And if there's still a society 50 years from now, they'll be going, that was a musician, not worrying about who was the rapper of the moment or whatever else it might've been. You just jogged my memory. There's a story of a all girl band from the seventies, like right around the late seventies. I can't remember their name right now off the top of my head, but they, were very much so talented, very much so publicized, and they never really popped. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's been it's been a story that we see time and time and time and time and time again. Mm-hmm. But the, the words that were said from this, I like it blew my mind from this lead singer, who's you know the the main musician in the band she's the singer songwriter um june millington um she was the lead singer of fanny okay f-a-n-n-y all girl punk punk group but like killer psych breakdowns right yeah and she was like shredding the guitar up front Mm -hmm. and singing and they've gone back and found millie and like interviewed her like how do you feel about this modern wave who could have seen it coming in the 20s, yeah. you know, of all girl punk bands coming to the scene again? Yeah. How do you feel about it? And she was like, how do you feel about yourself not popping? And she was like, it wasn't for us to pop. Right. It was literally, it did what it was supposed to. Fanny inspired a whole generation mm-hmm. of now the second generation of female musicians. Yeah. I, and she's just so cool. She's sitting in her like big old Hawaiian shirt, chilling there. I'm like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't need to be famous. I did it. I made it. I lived it. I'm happy. Well, and I think that's um, the mistake that a lot of people make is they assume that. I, I remember when I was doing improv in New York, and everyone's looking at the next hill. So you're, oh, I want to be on a house team. That's the that's the thing. If I'm on a house team, then I'm succeeding. You're on a house team, you're performing on Tuesday night. You want to be on a weekend team. That's where it's at. Mm-hmm. You're on a weekend team. Your friends are starting to get gigs on The Daily mm-hmm. Show and other things like that. Yep. And you're going, ah, I've been performing on this weekend team for years and I'm plateaued. And then, of course, as soon as you get onto Comedy Central, you're on a show that's low rated, getting canceled. You're a small role, not a big role. There's always that. And it's a series yeah. of hills. You're always looking yeah. up that next hill. And I think the story we're told in America is if you get to the top of the hill, you're happy. Everything's made. And it, oh my God, watch a single episode of Behind the Music and you get to the top of the hill and you go, well, what do I do? There's nothing to do except fall yeah. down. And, Glass ceilings, baby. And so I think, yeah, I I think monoculture is fragmented. We don't have the like mega stars quite the same way that we used to. No. We have so many more, but mm. it's about 
Well, it's what you and I were talking about the other day after we both got to share this magical backyard show. And we were saying, all right, we're people that have creative projects that Mm -hmm. expand beyond the city that we live in. But the joy of living in the city we live in is we get to have friends and community and all of those rich experiences and share our magic in this private, intimate way, which is different than when you're playing a club in Toronto or I'm trying to, you know, Mm -hmm. go on the road and do whatever I do. Um, no, I, it's something I'm seeing more and more come up in conversation. I am very blessed to have a wide berth of friends. Yeah. I do not mess around when it comes to collecting people. Yeah. Like if, if you love me, well, I'm gonna love you back mm-hmm. real hard. And you might not hear from me for a year because if I'm loving all these people that hard, that yeah. means they're getting all of my presence while I'm with them. Yeah. And the multi-generational friendships that I have built are so important because I have friends that have been on the other side of that mountain. Right. And I have friends that are going to go climb a completely new mountain that's never been found before. This new generation behind us, mind-blowing. Spent the weekend with my little soul nephew who is 14 and is already doing commissions uh, as an artist. Wow. Like his art looks like he's been here for like maybe 30 years. Um. But moving well, the kids forward, are finding YouTube tutorials faster and faster. YouTube, come at me. Yeah. Um, and then I have friends that have been the professional musician on the biggest tours, the biggest productions in the world, you know, and we seem to all carry this median dream. And that is to have whatever it is we're doing right now, post COVID be sustainable. Yeah. Uh, I don't need to make hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, a show right. or a year or any time in my life. I just want to know that I can be at home enough to feel like a human being, right? Um, that I can live slow enough to be there for family obligation and, and duty, and then also share what it is I believe to be my duty, my responsibility to these stories that have been entrusted to me with other people. Beautifully said. And I think that brings us to a perfect moment to let's figure out what our spell's going to be. And then we'll end with a song and Mm. you can play us out. So in your time on this earth, being the, the, the man that you are, what is something small that the listeners can do? And this could be you know, a habit, or it could be a specific action. Go out and do this one thing because it's going to create that shift that'll move you in this direction um, that can kind of bring the magic we've been sharing today and into their lives. Make your bed in the morning. Make your bed in the morning. That's a good one. No joke. Yeah. I didn't make my bed for like 27 years of my life. Yeah. I didn't even use a top sheet. I was one of those people. Make your whole bed in the morning. And the whole time you're doing it, if you wake up feeling anxious, let it go. Yep. If you wake up and you have no clue how you're going to get everything done, come to the terms with the fact that you might not. Mm-hmm. Like make your bed in the morning. Yeah. And just be thankful for whatever you got that night. I make my bed at hotels. Oh. <laughs> it's beautiful to freak them out and like they're like did he sleep in it or not and then I like leave it kind of ruffled so they know, <laughs> so they know that they should remake it because yeah. they're going to anyways yeah 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 no I love that I call I call those anchor rituals and I think having them be nice and small things where when things are feeling out of control you can do that thing and you're like alright cool that's getting my fingernails on the ledge that's getting me back on track that's a nice foundation that you know alright I get that bed made and I can probably make breakfast. And if I got my bed made and I made breakfast, well, then I could probably do a little journaling and mm-hmm. you kind of stack your day from there. I love it. Yeah. All right. So everyone's going to make their bed. And then why don't you share one more song and we'll bring this ritual to a temporary close. Mm. I'm going to play you um, a song that I just finished when I was thinking about home and being young where you always have someone watching over you um, and telling you what to do next and the joy of being little and taken care of. And when I was little and being taken care of, I heard this song a lot. Earth angel, earth angel, 
As I thought about my father, who I miss very much, it's been a year and a half since he passed, and my brother, who I also miss very dearly, it's been a year and a few months since he passed, I thought of this song. after by my mother I'd run as far as my body would go No, I would wonder what might happen if the dinner bell rang and I still wasn't home Cause I wanted to chase every sunset and feel every breeze in my skin and I'm starting to wonder between here and learning. Oh, if he crept in. Oh, and I after by my father I learned the power of a blade there it was crimson life pouring out never thought I'd be the same and he said mind over matter keep that horn tucked away cause the Pain that you feel, son, that's a part of life. On your feeling, you'll feel it again. He was my keeper all the same I would awake from a dream Falling from the sky And the monsters be there to take me away So I'd go to his bedside And he would receive me And he'd slay them all in my name And he'd say one day you won't need me you learn to make friends with the night Cause sleep is a gift from Mother Moon You can't let the demons Can't let the demons on the night Thank you for having me be a part of your ritual.
Thank you for being a part of the ritual. Mm. And that's thank you to all of you all as well. For more of Scott T. Smith's magic, visit Scott T. Smith, that's all one word, .bandcamp.com or look him up on Spotify. And for more of the enchanting ephemeral magic of this podcast as a ritual, you can visit patreon.com slash this podcast as a ritual, where donations of $4.20 help you make this ritual more real and more magical, and also let me eat food, which I require to be able to podcast. My body is just a calorie burning machine. So that $4.20 goes straight down the old wizard gullet and then comes right back in the form of the melodious voice you're hearing now. So once again, that's patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual. And until then, I hope you'll all be singing your own song, humming your way through life, and finding the melody in the world around you.